You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. All right. Yeah, you may be seated. Um, well, hello, my name is Sean. Um, and I think most of y'all know me, but uh, yeah. Welcome, welcome, uh, and I, we get to continue in this sermon series we started last week um, on the I am's, the I am statements in John, um, and so, you know, last week we looked at the idea that Jesus is, I'm the bread, um, I'm the bread of life, and so um, this week we're going to be diving into something a little different, uh, because it's another I am statement, uh, but uh, I these I am statements, the idea here is we're pointing to the divinity of Christ. John, this is his like number one concern. He wants us to know like Christ is God. And so this like I am points us back to uh, when God first identified himself as I am that I am, you know. Um, and this, so when Jesus makes these I am statements, it's, it's, it's leading uh, the audience somewhere. It's helping them to see something about who Christ is. And so this is the, these I am statements are extremely meaningful. Um, but uh, we are going to be looking at this idea. These actually two I am's. I am the gate and I am also I am the shepherd, the good shepherd. Um, and, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited about this. I am excited about this. Uh, cheesy, sorry, forgive me. Uh, so the last couple of years, um, I've heard this, this, um, word a lot, sheeple. Anybody, anybody heard this word sheeple? You guys are a bunch of sheeple, right? The idea here is, um, the idea here is when, when they start calling out people and calling them sheeple, the idea is that you are just like one sheep, just kind of like blindly following this herd of sheep, uh, and that's being led by, typically when they say it, it's like being led by this shepherd that uh, you don't even know who he is or anything about him, um, and ultimately you're being led astray, and you're just a, you're just a sheep, basically, sheeple, come on, sheeple, uh, and uh, while I understand the derogatory nature of this term, uh, I couldn't help it with my cheesy father jokes. Um, today's sermon is going to be titled Sheeple uh, because we are called to be sheep who follow our shepherd, Jesus. Uh, thankfully, we are not just blindly following in, in a crowd of sheep uh, and don't know who our shepherd is, but we know who our shepherd is. And we're going to learn more about this idea of who our shepherd is. So sheeple if you need a title for the sermon i don't i i always like struggle like coming up with sermon titles just so y'all know i'm like what's the point like who needs a title for this just just title it the date okay and then you'll be good but if you need one sheeple that's where we're at all right so today i'm gonna break down our sermon into these into these three parts now it's gonna be a little different uh first it's the i am the gate so we're gonna dig into i am the gate i am the good shepherd is the second one and the last part is gonna be focus on peter's example Uh, And so this is actually really different. We're not going to be doing, uh, you know, like kind of breaking it down necessarily verse by verse. Uh, But what I'm wanting to do is pull apart these two pieces. I am the I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. And then we're going to look at something that happens uh, that I think this is extremely important for us understanding the whole of the book of John and something that John is doing to teach us about Jesus being the gate and the good shepherd. So. Uh, I hope you'll be able to uh, hang with me on it. I get a little bit nerdy with it, and 
Yeah, I hope I, I hope I don't go overboard with it. But anyway, I'm excited about it. We're going to dive first into this idea where Jesus says, I am the gate. And now I had Rachel read all 18 of those verses. Forgive me, there's a long piece. But hey, you know what? More of the word of God. We, we want that. Um, but I'm actually going to be... That, I, I had her do that for context, um, and so uh, I'm going to be digging into for I am the gate, verses 7 through 10, and then we're going to go to, uh, 11 through 18 for I am the good shepherd. Um, but that, those first six verses are, are give us a little bit more context. You should definitely go back and reread those and be thinking through them again. We'll, I'll like reference them, but um, let's, go, let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and move forward. Actually, before we do, um, I want to stop. I want to pray real quick. I want to calm myself. I feel like I'm, and I want to do that. Everybody take a deep breath. Father, I pray that I would be preaching uh, by your spirit, by your word, Um, and the power of your word would transform me and us. Thank you for being the gate, and the shepherd. Help us to walk in that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I am the gate. John 10, 7 through 10. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved And will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to still kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. What in the world does this mean? I mean, Jesus saying, I am the gate. I am an inanimate object. Um, I am the gate. How is Jesus a gate? What does this mean for us? Ultimately, Jesus is making it clear uh, that he is the only way into the fold of God. I think there's, there's an obvious connection there. And actually, all throughout the New Testament, it seems that there's this in and through Christ. In and through Christ. You are seated in Christ in heavenly places. You, know, you, uh, you, know, you have the perfect peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus. Everything happens in and through Christ. There's this something about being in Christ, this mystery of being in him. And so by him saying, I am the gate, there is this idea of entering into. And that word for gate is, is like an entryway. And I don't want us to think of an entryway as like just empty space. It's not just like empty space. It's not like you just enter in through this opening. He's not just the opening. He's a transformative opening. Instead of thinking of entering, uh, entering into uh, Christ as like walking through an open space, I want us to think more like getting in a pool, okay? Uh, you know, if you sit on the edge of the pool and you put your toes in, someone's going to yell, get in, you know, because you're not actually in. To be in is to be utterly, you know, like, submerged in the pool and so this idea of being in Christ means that you're not you're not just kind of like dipping your toe in and learning a little bit about it and thinking about it but it's like full-on submission submersion into Christ this is where we get the idea of baptism right fully entering into this reality so much so that you can't in the same way that you couldn't say you're in the pool without being completely soaked you can't say that you're in Christ without being completely transformed by the blood of Christ, being completely covered by the blood of Christ, by completely changed by him. And um, 
And so this idea of Jesus being the entryway, I want us to even think even further. This is not just about uh, entering into his, the, all the good things that he has to offer, but in reality, like the, the, the way we get in is through his death, through his blood. So the entryway is, is very much a, a place of entering into his death. When you say, I'm going to enter in, you're saying, I'm going to enter in in this very particular way. And when Christ calls his disciples, he says, you know, come and follow me. And, and he's, he's all those who follow him lay down their life. They take up their cross and they follow him. The idea of following Christ is a life of full on sacrifice. Always it's, it's living our lives sacrificially and living in the death of Christ, live, walking with him in that. And this is, what, uh, this is what we represent in baptism. This is what we represent in communion. Uh, when we enter into the waters of baptism, there's this recognition that we die with Christ and we are raised to new life. That there is no abundant life. There is no grazing with, with our shepherd without entering into this death of Christ. We have to, and then with communion, we have this recognition of our, our regular need for him. That every week when we come and we take of this, we're reminded that it's not like I entered in through his blood, through his sacrifice, and then I'm done. But it's like I daily live and am, am saved by this sacrifice. And so it's a sacrificial living. We're called uh, living sacrifices. That, that's what we're called to live as. So when Jesus refers to himself as the gate or the entryway, he's calling us to live in and through him for the rest of our lives. Utterly transformed in this through in and through his death. And lots of people think they're entering and aren't truly entering the gate. When we have a, a moral gospel, you have a moral gospel that tells us, uh, I come to Christ to become a better person so that eventually my life is better and I can become worthy of the fold of God. That's a moral gospel. That is not the true gospel that saves you. You don't enter, you don't, you don't submit your life to Christ so you can get your life together and be a better person. In fact, you submit your life to Christ because you know that you can't make yourself a better person. And you need his forgiveness all along the way. You need his death all along the way. And so it's not this kind of moral gospel. And so sometimes people think they're stepping into the fold of God when in reality they're, they're like kind of trying to save themselves still. They're still trying to enter in through another way, not through the true gate of Christ's death. And then there's other people who think that they're entering, um, and, and really they've got a performance gospel that tells them uh, that, that coming to Christ just means doing all the right things that Christians are supposed to do. Go to church, give money, pray, all that, you know. And then we believe we become worthy of the fold of God because we've done these things. So the moral gospel is like, I've stopped doing these things. And the, the performance gospel is like, I started doing these things. And these are the things that actually technically are saving me. But those are not your entryway. And those are not the things that sustain you. And then lastly, there's, you know, that I'll talk about is a prosperity gospel. Um, and and it's, not as, it's not as blatant as some people might make it seem, right? Like sometimes like prosperity gospel is like, well, you just think you're going to be rich all the time, right? Like, that's not the full prosperity gospel. There's more to it than that. When, when one says, the only way I know that I'm in the fold of God is when, my, when life is going smoothly, right? 
and I continue to gain more, whether it's physical or financial blessing, then I know that I'm in the fold of God. I know that I'm good. I'm so sorry, but that is not how you check to make sure you're in the fold of God. You can lose your job and still be in the fold of God. You can lose your job and still not have strayed from Christ. There are people in other countries who are in much worse circumstances. If they were to look around and go, man, am I doing well enough? I don't know because I don't know if I know where my meal's coming from today. Am I truly following Christ? Maybe not because I don't. You know, like that's some ridiculous, that's, a, that's American Western gospel. That is not true gospel. You don't judge whether or not you're in by what, how smoothly life is going. It's purely determined by whether or not you have submitted your life to Christ. That's it. That's it. Neither what you do nor stop doing uh, nor what uh, you have are determining are a determining factor of whether or not you're part of the fold of God. The sheep who have entered through Christ will never, will never be sinless. Uh, they will daily allow, con- they will, but they will daily allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to help them let go of sin as the Spirit shows, them in their, shows it to them in their lives. The sheep who have entered through Christ will never go uh, to, uh, will never uh, go to enough services or give enough money or pray enough or disciple enough or evangelize enough to get into heaven. But they will live into these things more and more as they realize uh, how life-giving they are for their new nature as sheep in the fold of God. And entering in and through Christ is all about seeing Christ's victory through his death and resurrection. Entering through that and then living in this new kingdom reality as it transforms us as citizens of Christ's kingdom. This, this, is the, this is how it happens. So you enter in through his death and you enter into this thing that transforms you into one of his and because of that, yes, you're going to be like, man, I need to go to church because I feel like when I'm not, like when I miss too many weeks, when I miss the community, really, when I, when I miss that time with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I start to realize that something is lacking that Christ created me for, that he recreated me for. Man, when I'm not giving on, on a regular basis, when I'm not giving of, of myself, you start to go, man, something is missing in me. Not because the church needs my money, but because we we need to give so we can experience what it's like to be like our, our Savior who's called us to be his sheep. And he leads us in a life of generosity. We evangelize not because like, oh, we, we just need to make sure we can tell other people that, that man, I, did you hear what I did? I got this person to say this prayer or whatever. It's because the, the life-changing gospel that changed your life it, it should naturally flow out of you. And when, and when we start to step back from that and we, we say, you know, I don't know if I want to share. I'm a little nervous. It doesn't mean you're not his sheep. It just means like, hey, you should know that when you do that, it will become life-giving. It'll be terrifying, but it'll be life-giving. These things are good for you in your new nature as sheep in the fold of God. And so ultimately, I, I think as you begin to walk in this new nature, 
you, you, are, you recognize that you've been transformed, that prayer all of a sudden is like, man, I, I missed some prayer. I missed prayer this past week. I didn't pray at all. I didn't wake up or, or spend time, and I didn't spend time in God's word. And it's not like, oh, no, you know, I'm not a Christian anymore. It's like, oh, man, like I can feel something lacking. I'm missing something because it's in my nature to, that that is what feeds me. And so we begin to realize there's this transition that happens when you accept the true gospel, when you enter into the entryway of Christ, that you are utterly transformed, and it changes you in a way that all of a sudden these things become life-giving sustenance for you. So Jesus, but is, he's not only uh, the good, or the gate, but he's also the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. John 10 11 through 18, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and does, doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this uh, sheep pen. I, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is, uh, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life for, uh, so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. John loves to use this sheep and shepherd metaphor, I mean, or point out when Christ uses it. Uh, and this is a metaphor that was, it was very common. Um, and in fact, if you go back to verses 1 through 6, that's when you're going to get a little bit of the beginning of this sheep and shepherd metaphor. Um, and they talk about these bad shepherds that have snuck in over the, the sheep pen and these, these guys that have not really truly been good shepherds. They've been harmful. Um, this is something that you see all throughout the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament. Um, and then it, you, know, you see uh, bits and pieces of it throughout the New Testament for sure. This idea of Israel, God's people, being the sheep of God and then the shepherd uh, coming. This, this idea is, like, again, it's, it's all throughout uh, the Old Testament, especially you see some in the prophets. You see David in Psalm 23, you know, um, you know say the Lord is my shepherd, that, that famous prayer, you know. Um, but it seems like in here we have a direct allusion to, like, we're, we're, he's pointing to Ezekiel 34. And there uh, God says he will shepherd his people one day. And then he also says that he will place David as a shepherd over his people. And this is, this is interesting because then you have this question like, well, how is God going to be the shepherd and how is David going to be the shepherd? Number one, David was, has passed. This is long after David. But the, the whole idea is like a descendant of David. How is a human descendant of David going to become the shepherd of God's people, but also God be the, God's, the shepherd of God's people? This is where Christ comes in and fulfills this incredible pro prophecy. I mean, I don't think the Jewish people could have even comprehended the idea, like an, initially, of this idea of like an incarnation about God becoming human. Like, what kind of God stoops down like that, right? And yet, 
that's exactly how it is fulfilled, how God becomes shepherd and, and this uh, descendant of David becomes shepherd because Christ is uh, one of the descendants of David and, um, and he is God. So now all of a sudden through Christ, but this, there's this fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. There's this beautiful thing happening. Jesus is both. And so, and so Jesus really becomes the only figure who could, who could fulfill this. Jesus becomes this fulfillment of the Davidic shepherd, uh, and David is not just the shepherd, but the good shepherd. Um, and Jesus, de- Jesus describes this as the shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. Um, the shepherd who, who doesn't run from danger, the shepherd who knows his sheep, the shepherd uh, who loves his sheep. In fact, this is deeply tied to the entryway, actually, um, being Christ's death and resurrection, I mean, earlier we saw thieves and robbers entering in another way, not willing to lay down their own lives, and then, and then these shepherds attempting to lead the sheep astray. But Christ's sacrificial death becomes a major part of this gateway, and so Christ, being the one who lays down his life, this is an important part of the good shepherd. He's the only one who can make this entryway, and he does it by his blood. So uh, we know that Jesus lays down his life for us, and he does this on the cross. Um, but Jesus goes on to say more about the shepherd. Uh, the shepherd is uh, how he sacrifices himself. What does it look like for him to know us, though, and for us to be known by him? How does this, how does this all work together? This idea that this good shepherd uh, knows us and is known by us. This is another way he describes it. So he's, he's one who lays down his life, and he's one who knows us and is known by us. I get that God knows us, right? Like, I get that the infinite creator who, like, actually made you, who knows how many hairs are on your head and knows everything about you, I understand that he knows you. I think that makes sense, right? But to say that we know him, that's, that's strange. How is it that this transcendent being makes it so that we can know him? How is it that we are given him? And it only happens if he gives himself to us. That's the only way that's going to happen. You don't get to be to know God unless he allows you to know him. I think this is what the incarnation is about. God coming and becoming flesh so that we might eat with him and drink with him and be with him. We might touch his wounds, you know. God comes and becomes part of us, and he experiences every human experience, even unto death. He becomes tangible for us. This is incredible. It it, it makes me think a little bit of of Aslan and the Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, it's hard to get past. It may be hard for some of you to get past the fact that it's a children's book, and you know Aslan's good, and so, you know, when he comes on the scene, you're kind of like, yeah, he's he's a good lion. It's going to be it's cool. But stop and think for a second. This gigantic, imagine running into an untamed lion in the wilderness. And you come face to face with this giant monster of an animal. The terror, the fear. I mean, how scary is that, right? Like, and then imagine that that lion bows its head to you and invites you to come and run your fingers through its mane. And give it a huge hug 
and you realize the power behind this thing and yet the love that it has for you, that he, that he invites you in. This is what happens in the Chronicles of Narnia. Lucy uh, and Susan are, are, you know, able to come right before he goes to his, his death, able to come and give him a hug and hold him. And there's even a part where they're, like, riding him. I don't know about you. Like, you imagine, like, when you think about God as your father, like, I don't know if you ever think about this, but, like, I always think about, man, God's going to be giving me a piggyback in heaven. <laughs> no, I mean, like, there's this, like, reality of the light, like, the kind of power that he has and how, how, how crazy it is that he would say, no, 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 come and, and ride, hold me. I hold you and I love you and you can know me. This kind of intimate relationship is given to you by this powerful being. So when he says he knows you and is known by you, it's, it's incredible. I tell you what, there's nobody, uh, there's, there's, none of you are going to touch me the way that my son or my daughter is going to be able to touch me. They're going to put their hands on my face. They're going to squeeze my cheeks together. And they're going to try to jab their fingers in my armpits thinking they can tickle me. And they're going to try to wrestle me. I'm not going to do that with you. You cannot do that to me. Please do not do that. I will say that's harassment. Please don't do that. But my children are welcome to do that. I'm much bigger than them. I could put a stop to that real quick. But that's the kind of powerful God. I'm not, I'm not powerful, sorry. Uh, that's the kind of powerful God we have who loves us so intimately. He could put a stop to it at any moment. He could keep himself as distant as he wanted because he is transcendent. And yet he makes himself human and dies for us. He invites us to touch his wounds, as I said, to eat with us, to, hold, to, to be held by him. This is the kind of God we serve. That he, this is the shepherd that invites us to follow him. Come on. <laughs> oh, man. But a shepherd is not just someone who knows and is known and is willing to die to protect us, which he is all of these things, but someone who leads us. In this way, Jesus is not just, uh, does not just become the way into the fold, but the way out of the gate as well. If you read the verse, he says, in and out. He takes you out to graze in green grass. Man, a sheep, a sheep who gets out of the fold without their shepherd, that's a lost sheep. That's a lost sheep. That's a sheep who's wandering around with no protection and is searching for food but doesn't know where the good grass is. And it may think it's found some good grass, but it's not, it's not as good as you'd think. And, but a sheep who follows his shepherd out is going to be led to the green grass, is going to be led to the good places, and he'll, he will be protected when he's in those dangerous places. So many times I think we think we know where the greenest grass is and we go running for it. We think, oh, that job is going to be the thing that fulfills me, you know. Having, an, having a child, that's going to be the thing that fulfills me. Doing this, uh, you know, doing this, this big project at work, I'm going to, be, I'm going to get this, this uh, you know, promotion here. If I get that, that will be the thing that fulfills me. And when I get that, that, that is going to be the thing that really, truly, that's where my shepherd needs to lead me. And he's not leading me there, so I'm going to go do it by myself. And I, you know, go running out the gate and make it happen. That's a lost sheep. 
thank God our shepherd leaves the 99 and go find the one, right? What a loving God. The goal of salvation is not just to get you in the pen. And I think this is part of the problem oftentimes when people enter into the pen. They see that as like they see all the boundaries and they go, oh, no, I don't want to be in there. I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to be kept in one spot, you know. And, uh, and oftentimes you can look at all the rules and people can worry about becoming a Christian because they're worried about having to follow all these whatever, you know. And what we don't realize is that that pen is there. It's just there to protect us until the shepherd leads us back out again to good green grass and He's not trying to keep us there. It's actually the goal isn't to stay in that pen. It's, it's to be led out and to follow our shepherd wherever he goes. Actually, the pen is just there, uh, you know, for, for a brief time, you know, just, just for a brief time so we can sleep safely. And the shepherd takes us where he wants to lead us. That's the beautiful thing about this, this shepherd is that it, it's not about getting into the pen. It's about being with our shepherd. That's the goal of entering into his sheepfold. It's about being with your shepherd. That idea of being known and knowing you know, John 17, he prays that prayer. He says, uh, this is eternal life that they may know the Father. You know, like uh, they may know the Son. They, it, this knowing Christ, knowing God, that is eternal life. That's the entry. That's part of this, this whole eternal life thing. It's not just about one day getting into heaven. It's not just about following a bunch of rules, but it's actually about entering, it's about entering into relationship with your creator, and in that, as he leads you to different places, there is, there is abundant eternal life. And so sometimes we can look at this idea of entering to this pen. We see all the rules and expectations of Christianity. But Jesus says uh, in, in verse 9 that the sheep will come in and go out. You know, The kingdom of God is not a kingdom built by rules to follow, but is a present reality wherever we follow our shepherd. I want to say that again. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom built by rules to follow, but is a present reality wherever we follow our shepherd. And you can follow you, you can uh, you can follow all the rules and still not be following your shepherd. That's the reality. The shepherd might be trying to lead you out of that pen, try to take you to green grass. You're like, nah, it's not safe out there. I'm, I'm gonna stay right over here with the, these these rules. These are nice, you know. Like at least I know keep my world in order, right? Like I know what's expected of me. As long as I read this, you know, read daily, and I do this, and I follow this rule, and I follow that rule, everything will be just fine. And Jesus is like, no, nah, let's go, let's get out of the pen. I'm gonna lead you some better grass, something that you haven't ever tasted before, something better than what you have here in this pen. Hmm. But if our faith is all about following rules, we're missing out on the relationship. This whole, this whole, that's what this whole thing is about, this relationship. And you're invited to be known and to know your creator. You're invited to follow the shepherd and to become one of his own. But again, this only starts by coming through the gate. And there's one last point I'd like to make. So we're, we're kind of moving into this third category that I said is, is a little different than our normal points. where It's not being pulled directly from this passage. But I'm, gonna, I'm gonna approaching it a, diff- a little differently. I'd like to take these two, po- two ideas, Jesus being the gate, Jesus being the shepherd, and I want to use Peter's denial and restoration as an example, uh, as, as what I believe John uses as an example of, of how Christ works with, with us as, as our shepherd. I think if we do it this way, the story that John wants to present uh, is, is actually told properly. And so I don't want to miss out on this. I think, 
we miss it if we don't do this. So, um, in telling the story of Jeter, Jeter, Jesus, <laughs> Jeter, uh, <laughs> in telling the story of Jesus' arrest and Peter's denial, John seems to be doing something uh, intentional with the scene. Uh, and so we're looking at, at Peter's example. Jesus is led into the high priest's house. And we know from the other Gospels uh, that all of the disciples have fled, uh, but Peter's like following, and it says from a distance in the book of Mark, and the, the Gospel of Mark. Um, but we also know uh, that this is the time when Peter's great denial happens. He, he denies Jesus three times, and at the same time, there's a simultaneous thing happening. Jesus is d- making the great confession while Jesus, or Jesus is making the great confession while Peter's making the, having the great denial thing happening. So there's a bit of that going. You see that really clearly in Mark. But what John wants to do is something a little different. He's playing on this whole shepherd thing, and, and you don't realize it uh, unless you're able to see the Greek words. And I, I think... I'm pretty sure that this is very intentional. It seems very intentional to me. Uh, maybe you will disagree with me, and that's okay. All right, uh, so I wanna, what I want to do is read John 18, 15 through 18. We're going to do a lot of scripture reading, so here we go. All right, John 18, 15 through 18. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That other disciple is John. John typically refers to himself as the other disciple, another disciple. He kind of does that. He's so much humility. <laughs> uh, Anyway, uh, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside of the door. So the other disciple, the one known by the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, You aren't one of... uh, uh, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the, now the servant and the officials had, had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them warming himself. Verse 25, I'm, I'm kind of like skipping along here. Now P- Simon Peter was standing, out, standing and warming himself, and they said to him, Aren't you one of the disciples too? Uh, are, you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again. Immediately, a rooster crowed. This is, that was the signal like, hey, you've denied me three times, right? Now, what does this have to do with sheep pens and all that? I want to point out that in the denial scene in Peter, um, in the denial scene, Peter is outside of the entryway, same word that's used for the entryway, the door, the gate, into the, the sheep pen. He's outside the entryway to the courtyard. The word for courtyard is the same word that we use for sheepfold. Interestingly enough, that's where they kept sheep. So uh, you have this entryway, you have a sheepfold or a courtyard, you also have a doorkeeper. Okay, all of these things are mentioned in John 10. John is like, he's like callback for sure. He's, he's like, look, I'm gonna, you can, so you can repeat one or two words every now and then. You start repeating three or more words, all of a sudden you're going, all right, John, I'll catch what you're doing. That's pretty smooth. That's pretty smooth. Peter is standing outside of the sheepfold, essentially, and there's a doorkeeper, and how does Peter enter in? He begins to walk in, and the girl says, aren't you one of those who, who follows Christ? He says, I am 
not. He does not enter in by Christ, through Christ. And in fact, you have this like opposite of the I am's that, that John's been pointing out over and over about Jesus. I don't know if that was intentional, but it feels very intentional. The I am not. Peter's entering into the, this, this courtyard area telling by, by denying Christ, his shepherd, who is then up in, in, this, in this room with the high priest making the great confession. This, this is, I mean, what, what incredible writing. What incredible writing. John is pulling this whole thing together. And, and then um, Jesus, a little bit later, a few verses later, as, as he's talking with, with people, he says, everyone who, uh, who is of the truth listens to my voice. Again, it's like this allusion to the, the, those who hear. Okay, Peter can't follow his shepherd all the way because Peter fears death. This is a clear calling to discipleship of laying down your life, picking up your cross, and following Christ. The one who knows his shepherd and is known by him follows him in and out of the pen, and and Peter can't do it because of fear of death. And he denies Jesus three times. The sheep does not follow his shepherd. He becomes this stray sheep. But then in John 21, 15 through 19, um, Jesus, this is Jesus kind of like bringing this restoration after his death and resurrection. It says this, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them, him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. 17, he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know, that, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, You would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you you don't want to go. He He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. This invitation back into the sheepfold of God, this follow me at the end, this little hint that one day G- Peter would be led to death himself, knowing that following his shepherd means death. And this little hint that says, he says, feed my sheep and shepherd my sheep. How is it that the one who couldn't follow the shepherd is then made a shepherd? That is the kind of grace we have in Christ. That is the kind of grace we have in Christ. John went through all kinds of detail just to draw out this failure of being a good sheep so that, I believe, so that at the end, this hits so much harder 
the grace and the love that Christ has for you that even when you, you stray, he calls you back to be his own, to follow him. Mm. God, Jesus, your shepherd loves you so deeply. He loves you so deeply. Peter is, is being given this other, this new chance to follow and shepherd his sheep. And this whole idea of him being gr- grieved, this is pointing back to his three, denial three times. Jesus asks him three times. He denied three times. Clearly, there's this connection here. This I am not, I am not, I am not. And Jesus, the great I am, says, you are, follow me. I just, I'm, I'm blown away, and, and I think it has, a, the, the writing of John, I mean, just, he just did an incredible job pulling all this together, I think. Hmm. What kind of grace is this that takes our utter failures and calls us into ministry, calls us to minister to others? How is it that you get the opportunity to share the gospel with someone else? How many times do we fail daily, you know, and yet? The grace of God pulls you in and says, come on, follow me. It's okay. I know, you messed up. Let's keep going. It's amazing. I'm going to close with this. We're called to die to ourselves daily. This is true discipleship. And the shepherd lays down his life for us, not just to rescue us from death, but to teach us how to die. Every day is another chance to follow Christ to death. To live not for ourselves, but for the one who called us. So don't miss out on one day with your shepherd, but know that the entryway and the journey of our shepherd is Christ's death calling us to lay down our own lives. That's just part of the journey. In, In this, our shepherd truly frees us to graze in the fields and enjoy true abundant life. And so through the entryway and the journey are death, and the final destination is eternal life and resurrection. It doesn't end in death. I want to be clear. I'm not saying that we earn our salvation in any way. Uh, We enter through Christ's death. That's how it happens, as I've mentioned. But we say yes to him, and we receive his grace, and that enables us to follow him, and it also enables us to stray and with the good news that the shepherd will come and find us, chase us down, and get us again. And then we continue on the journey of daily dying. Uh, Not because this saves us, but because Christ teaches us through it and leads us ultimately to eternal life. And once we've entered that gate, we're his, we're transformed. It's beautiful. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for the grace that you have just lavished on us, the love that you have lavished on us, that you would call us your own, that you would invite us in to be transformed, to die daily with you, that you have died the death that we couldn't really handle, we couldn't do, and, and you made it possible for us to live, live out this whole thing that really truly leads to true, eternal, abundant life, to know you, to know the Father, to love you, to be loved by you. Thank you for all that you have done for us. May, may we live out the rest of our, this week and the rest of our lives as sheep following our shepherd, knowing that even when we stray, you're coming for us. You're going to help us back on the path, and, and, uh, and you, that, that it's because you love us so much. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.